0: With moose. King of the Schoolyard. It was late summer 1984. The Olympics had just dazzled Los Angeles and woke a yearning in the heart of one young man in the Midwest by introducing a cute, spunky fire plug of a gymnast named Mary Lou Retton to the world. A film called Ghostbusters had opened that summer, in June of 1984, and was a phenomenon that all the 12 and 13 year old boys I knew discussed in great detail, trying to see who would return to school in the far off fall with the coolest Ghostbusters gear. It was that important. I had spent a long, grueling, hot summer mowing lawns once a week for the neighborhood senior citizens and widows, collecting a tidy sum hidden inside an empty prescription bottle tucked away under my athletic socks, each with their three bright stripes of color splashed across the stark white of the sock like artistic wounds concealed in the upper right drawer of my dresser. I had saved that money, earned from the very sweat of my brow, and I was going to have the ultimate piece of Ghostbusters gear come school time. I would be the king of the schoolyard. I would have... a t-shirt. Now you have to understand, At that place and at that moment in time, while pop culture merchandise existed, it was decidedly different than today. One, or if you were really lucky, two different designs were available, usually plastered with the characters or some kind of scene from the film. It was very much the industry saying, here's your damn t-shirt kid, now give me your money. There was not the infinite licensed variety, the foreign knockoffs, the fan art alternatives that are so abundant now. You bought what they offered, you went without. I knew that I would probably see twenty of those t-shirts on my way into school that first day back. I had to have something that would blow them all away. Fortunately, I had an ace up my sleeve. At the local mall, well, not really local to me as there was one closer, but this was the cool mall. There was a little shop right next to the movie theater that made t-shirts. This was a rarity at that time. Almost a hidden shop, crouching in the shadows, bringing no attention to itself, surviving off the pockets of the endlessly competing teens, the stoned adults adjusting to their lost youth, and local sports teams, both the organized and bar league variety. It's hard to describe the feeling I had walking into this store, the strange surrealism, the almost alchemical smell of the very air. All I can say is that, years later, When I walked into my first head shop, I said to myself, this reminds me of that old t-shirt shop at the mall. It was a small store, probably 15 feet wide by 30 feet deep, bordered by floor to ceiling windows on the one long side, letting in the sunlight and providing a beautiful view of the small section of huge asphalt coated parking lot, splashing the shifting golden light across the circular racks of solid colored t-shirts that took up most of the floor space illuminating only the lowest row of designs on the wall opposite the windows, where resided the cash register, the order desk, and that most mystical of objects, the t-shirt heat transfer press. See, in those days, you could walk into a store like this, pick out your t-shirt, and then flip through the bins of designs, some of which were posted on the walls like a tattoo parlor, and choose your design. Then the highly trained t-shirt transfer technician probably a dropout, would place your chosen t-shirt in the heat transfer press, position your design on your shirt, after having pulled it out from a bin somewhere behind the mystical counter, and bringing the top plate down against both, locking it into place with an audible thunk, and setting the precision engineered timer to five minutes. You can find these precision timers at any dollar store in great abundance in these modern fruitful times. I had chosen a plain black cotton t shirt, crisp, thick, and fresh, for my soon to be picked transfer. I hunted frantically through the bins, flipping past each butterfly, mermaid, and wolf howling at the moon, each mounted to a thick piece of cardboard and covered with a fingerprint smudged clear plastic cover, hunting for the ultimate symbol, the thing that would make me the Ghostbusters king of the school. And then, after flipping past some skateboard images and something about Disco Lives, I found it. That iconic red circle, trapping a ghost with that bright red bar bisecting his torso. Just the Ghostbusters emblem. No movie title, no lettering, no damn Vinkman poking his smug face into the picture. Just that glorious logo and that disappointed spirit. This would be the greatest t-shirt ever. The man behind the counter took my design number, my shirt, and my 32 American dollars, about $80 today, and went to render the two disparate parts unto one. I could have browsed, but instead I stood there, watching for the full seven minutes involved in the creation of my ultimate shirt, watching the steam roll out of the sides of the press a million images of jealous eyes admiring and hating my shirt as I walked into the school flashing through my brain. When it was done, and the angelic choir had quieted down, I left the magical store with my T-shirt safely stowed in a paper sack, receipt clutched in my hand, as if the same stoned adult man-child who had just made my shirt would tackle me, demanding proof of purchase on the shirt he had just made. I scurried to the car, where my mother was waiting, and slid into the back seat. I was bursting with excitement and glee, clutching the shirt that in my eyes would make me king of the schoolyard, but in her eyes could have paid the electric bill for that month. She, to her credit, didn't say as much, but the realization of the fact that she couldn't have thought of it in any other way came to me many, many years later, and has greatly disturbed my slumber from time to time. Upon arriving home, I decided to pair the debut of the Ghostbusters shirt with one of the few, very few items of 1984 chic that I owned, that being a pair of gray parachute pants. Now, when I first told this story to my wife, who was four years my junior, she immediately referenced hammer pants. Bless her heart. You have to know that the parachute pants I refer to for a glorious six months or so in 1984, were tight-fitting, made entirely of nylon and zippers, with a few buttons thrown in for flair. They were truly the mullet of pants. With the impetuousness of youth, I could not wait the interminable distance between July and September for the start of school to display my killer ensemble. I decided to try it out at a few functions with the youth group I was involved in. They had some dances coming up, and it had the added advantage of being a youth group in which I mingled with the folks from the good side of town, and therefore it was very unlikely that I would encounter anyone from my school at any of the functions, and my killer t-shirt would remain in secrecy. The outfit was very well received at the summer functions, so I felt very emboldened. When my 14th birthday came around in late July, my mother said she'd take me to a movie for my birthday. We went to see Revenge of the Nerds. Not a movie that a woman should take her 14-year-old son and 10-year-old daughter to see, but it was a different time. The film released on my actual birthday and we were seeing a premiere event thanks to some free tickets my mom had gotten from a friend in the radio business. This was a special occasion. So I decided that it called for my best outfit, my Ghostbusters logo t-shirt, and the gray parachute pants. I entered the theater with my mother and my sister after standing with them in line at the snack bar and proceeded to find seats. This is where I, a newly minted 14 year old man, drew the line. I was far too cool to sit with my old mother and my baby sister. I was going to sit on my own basking in the glory that is me, the coolest being alive. My mother, certainly cowed by the throbbing masculinity I no doubt possessed on this my 14th birthday, acquiesced, and I proceeded to find an aisle seat for myself off to the left wing, while my mother and sister found seats in the center section, among the plebes. As I settled into my seat, I detected the tell-tale giggles of two or more young members of the fairer sex, coming down the aisle behind me. Bolstered by the magnificence of my t-shirt, I began the time-honored ritual of mating, preparing to display my plumage. I snuck a quick glance back and saw two young blonde girls dressed in the traditional uniform of my generation, a band t-shirt and jeans, sharing some private joke and advancing down the aisle towards where I sat, with three empty seats between me and the wall in a decent viewing spot. This must be fate. I slouched low in my seat, which is how the mate of the species demonstrated his superiority in those days, by melting into the surrounding furniture as a way to indicate his dominance. As the giggles approached from behind, I slouched even more dominantly. With every step they took, I slipped a little lower in my chair, relaxed into liquidity on the outside, screaming and straining with anxiety inside as with each step the lovely beautiful girls with the joyous giggling drew closer until we reached a point the scientists call physics and the very precise point of friction that existed between the slick nylon parachute pants and the vinyl covered theater seat was overcome by the pressures of the dominant slouching and my ass shot forward on the seat just as the giggling goddesses pulled level with my seat, bearing witness to the action that followed. As my posterior propelled itself forward and the girls stared in amazement, I, being very thin and lanky in those days, folded like a bad poker hand. My knees shot up against the seat in front as I slid forward. Again, being lanky and thin, the theater seat sprang upward on its springs, lodging firmly under my shoulder blades, imprisoning me between the folded up seat and the seat back directly in front of me. To my recollection, the theater went silent, save for two things. The giggle of the two blonde girls as they continued on down the aisle. And a cackle, hysterical, witch-like cackle, that rang about the room. That was my mom. I never wore those parachute pants again. And when I returned to school in a little less than a month, I wore a plain blue t-shirt. I saw seven guys wearing Ghostbuster logo t-shirts that day. You have been out of time with Moose.